0: While the second coming will draw worldwide attention as Christ triumphs over evil, its central purpose isn't one of battle, but one of judgment. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at Christ's judgment of the ungodly in preparation for his thousand-year reign on earth in the millennium. Listen now as David introduces the powerful conclusion of his message, Shock and
1: Awe. Folks, if you have your Bibles, you want to find Matthew chapter 24, because we're going to talk about what Jesus said about the time when he returns. His words are really powerful, and the story is overwhelming. You know, we we have a lot of uh, dynamic uh, stories that get on television with all kinds of special effects. This will be special effects like you will never believe. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back the second time, every eye will see him. That means every person on earth will witness this event at the same time. People say, well, it's got to be satellite television. But if the Lord Jesus can create the eye, he sure can create a way for everybody to see. He can do anything. All I know is the Bible says we're all going to witness this if we're here. I don't plan to be here. I'm planning to be with Jesus when he comes back. But it'll be a glorious shock and awe event. We'll have more about that in a moment. I hope you're uh, following along every day. We have a beautiful study guide that helps you do that. Also helps you in the future when you want to study this again. It is a great small group study uh, curriculum. If you're going to take a time and study this material uh, in a small group. The study guides are critical, and we have the best one we ever did just for this series. I hope you get it. And, by the way, over 13,000 churches have now signed up to study this and are studying it with us, including many of the visuals we created. And uh, something's going on, friends, with this series. I hope you're praying and watching how God is using the promise of His return to bring many people to himself. Here's part two of Shock and Awe. Let's talk about the purpose of it. Why does Jesus come back the second time? Do you remember back in the day when we had the Iraqi encounter, and you remember the terms shock and awe? That military strategy has been part of the United States Armed Forces tactical approach since the 1990s, but the phrase itself became a national conversation In 2003 when we invaded iraq the premise of shock and awe is that a sudden overwhelming display of military force can paralyze the enemy's preparation and perception of the battlefield and destroy their will to fight the idea is to throw a huge amount of offensive armaments toward your enemy with the goal of overwhelming them and short-circuiting their ability to respond that was our strategy during the early days of Operation Iraqi Freedom. In a burst of power, the United States launched a coordinated combination of missiles, laser-targeted bombs, and the immediate goal was not only to destroy Iraqi defensive weapons, but to convince Iraqi civilians that the United States and its allies were serious, that Saddam Hussein and his regime would soon be removed from power. And less than five weeks later, our coalition forces entered Baghdad and Iraqi's capital was defeated and secured for us. When Jesus leads his heavenly offensive against Satan and the Antichrist at the Battle of Armageddon, when he comes the second time, he will follow a similar strategy, although he won't use conventional weapons. His weapon will be the glory, Christ's glory, transcendent, splendor and power will be fully aimed at the evil that has bedeviled humanity for so long in that final showdown the rebellion of the tribulation period will come to a head the antichrist the kings of the earth the souls that follow them will gather one last time to try to defeat jesus christ their armies will be made up of soldiers from the ten nations of the revived roman empire It will be made up of the beast, the Antichrist, with the false prophet at his side. They will lead these massive armies in an attempt to defy Christ's authority and his right to rule, and the ultimate revolt against God will take place. And when Christ's return draws near, they will do everything they can to prepare for the battle of the ages, and they will fail spectacularly. Listen to this. The Apostle John describes the shock and awe of the second coming. Revelation 1-7, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye shall see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. The first time Jesus came to this earth, he appeared in obscurity. But the second time, the whole world will witness his return. When Jesus arrives on earth a second time, his landing will dramatically herald the purpose of his coming. The Bible says the moment that his feet touch the Mount of Olives, that mountain will split apart, creating a broad passageway from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as you can imagine, this will be an unprecedented geological cataclysm. Christ's return will be amplified by a spectacular moment that will make Hollywood disaster movies look like Saturday morning child play. The world will see and recognize for the first time its rightful Lord and its rightful King. Jesus came the first time in humility. He was born in a manger in an obscure back room. This time his glory and majesty will be displayed for everybody to see. The Bible says that when he comes the second time, every eye shall see him. He will look like no other warrior in the history of the world. Here's how John described him when he returns. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head wore many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Let's take a deeper look at that description. First, his eyes are flames of fire which burn up all the false stuff, the deception. He gazes upon the hearts and minds of mankind and sees them all the way to who they really are. This signifies the Lord's ability to see us And deal with injustice his eyes will pierce through the motives of nations and individuals and judge them for who they are And then the bible says that his head is covered with crowns When he came the first time they mocked him and they put a crown of thorns on his head When he comes this time his many crowns symbolize This reality that no rule, might, or authority will be able to stand against him. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then Jesus' robe, we are told, is dipped in blood, and it speaks of the redemption that he secured for us on the cross as the lamb that was slain. For all eternity we will celebrate the shed blood which brought about our redemption from the penalty of sin. John describes Christ earlier in this book as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In fact, Jesus will be represented to us throughout eternity as the Lamb of God. I've been surprised at how many of us are shocked to realize that Jesus is in heaven in his humanity. Jesus didn't give up his humanity when he went to heaven when he was born into humanity He maintained that and when we see him in heaven the Bible describes him that way We will see the scars in his hands We will see perhaps the places where the crown of thorns were placed on his head Maybe examine the hole in his side and we will know that we are in heaven because of him and what he did for us He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and the Bible says that written on his thigh is this term, king of kings and lord of lords. I have seen, as you have people who play professional sports, they have their pull-ons, their jogging pants, and on the side they have written names, like maybe their name of their team. When you see Jesus, the Bible says, on his thigh will be written these words, king of kings, lord of lords. We're familiar with this double name, but now is the time it takes its intended significance. Of all the kings on the earth, he's the king. Of all earthly lords, rulers, he's the Lord. And that day will be the day when every knee will bow and confess that he is the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. The priority of the second coming and the prophecies of it and the purpose of it. Let me tell you a little bit about the participants in it. The Bible says in verse 14, and the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. When Christ returns, the Bible says he will bring with him his armies as part of the shock and awe campaign. Note the word in verse 14 is armies, plural. It's not the army of heaven, but the armies of heaven. Perhaps these armies are the believers from all of the ages, the Old Testament army, the New Testament army, the Tribulation army, all the many legions of our Lord combined in one massive army. Zechariah said, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. If you're a Christian and you die and go to heaven or you're caught up in the rapture, when Jesus comes back, you come back with him. You're part of his army. We are part of his army. We are his army. The Bible says we're dressed in white and we come back with Jesus when he takes control of this earth. Once again, in his letters to the Thessalonians, Paul spoke of the saints who would accompany the Lord. He wrote this, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Did you get that? He's coming back and we're coming with him and Jude echoed the same idea behold the Lord comes with ten thousands of his Saints All those who have died in the Lord along with those who are raptured before the years of the tribulation Will join with Jesus and participate in the battle to reclaim the world for the rule of Christ More important than who they are is how they are dressed The white linen, clean and fine, represents the righteousness of those who are so clothed. Jesus wears bloodstained garments so that we may wear white garments of his righteousness. I used to think, why do you go to a battle dressed in white? That doesn't seem right. And then I realized, we aren't going to do any fighting. We're just going to watch. Jesus doesn't need us and you know what the Bible says this is what it says He will defeat them by the breath of his mouth He will go and it'll be all over And we'll say whoa, did you see that we'll be there I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible But notice the saints are not the only ones in the army. This is going to be quite a collection The Bible says both Matthew and Paul tell us that the angels will also be back With the Lord Matthew 25 says when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him So do you get in the picture all of the saints who've gone to heaven? Everybody who's converted coming back dressed in white accompanied by all of his holy angels I don't know how many angels there are, but there are thousands times ten thousands You talk about shock and awe You look up from jerusalem, and you see What God has in mind you'd have a heart attack probably Paul said, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. And to us as well, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So who's in the army? Who are the participants in the second coming? It's Jesus on white horses. And the Bible says we're on white horses too. So don't let anybody tell you there are no animals in heaven. But where are the white horses coming from? We had a thing at Turning Point not long ago where we were trying to test what people respond to, and we were doing a prophecy thing. And one of the questions we posed was, will there be animals in heaven? It was the highest responded to thing we have ever done. I can't get over how many people want to know what's going to happen to animals and are animals in heaven. So we know horses are going to be there, and that means probably dogs are going to be there. I'm not sure about cats, but dogs are going to be (laughs) there. Horses and dogs for sure cats with a big question mark all right (laughs) I'm just kidding if you have a cat God loves a cat (laughs) I want you to see Priority the prophecies the purpose the participants And then the punishment at the second coming Here is the core of why this is true and listen carefully this is really important In the first description of verse 11, we are given the central purpose for Christ's return. Here's what it says. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. Jesus will come to judge. He will come as the judge of all things, including the judge of all people. In the little epistle that immediately precedes the book of Revelation, the little epistle called Jude... Jude describes the kind of world that Christ will find when he returns to this earth. It sort of sounds like maybe we're in that world already. Listen carefully. Now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. What kind of world will he find when he comes back? An ungodly world. In one short verse, Jude uses the word ungodly four times. And the repetition is not accidental. Jude was emphasizing the fact that when Christ returns to the earth, his long-suffering patience will have run its course. He will come to impose judgment upon those who have defied him. And Jesus will also render judgment against the leaders of the forces who oppose him during the tribulation, namely the Antichrist and the false prophet. The Bible says then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet and these two were cast alive Into the lake of fire burning with brimstone when John used the word captured He described what happens to the beast the Antichrist and the false prophet He was being very intentional that word in the Greek language means to grab or to snatch When the time has come, when the cup of iniquity has been filled up, the Lord will snatch up the Antichrist and the false prophet from off the earth and cast them into hell. That's what the Bible says. And these two evil creatures will have the unwanted honor of actually going to hell before Satan does. Perhaps surprisingly, Satan will not join the beast and the false prophet in hell until the end of the millennium, 1,000 years later. We read in Revelation 20:10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now let's take a deep breath here for just a moment. This is some pretty heavy stuff. And so the question is, why all this judgment? Why all this anger and wrath? I mean, what is wrong with Jesus coming back to do all of this? Why must these things be part of God's plan for the future if you're among those who struggle with the thought of God's wrath and judgment? Here are some words from N.T. Wright that may give you some understanding He said the word judgment carries negative overtones for a good many people in our liberal and post-liberal world We need to remind ourselves that throughout the Bible God's coming judgment is a good thing something to be celebrated and longed for and yearned over It causes people to shout for joy and the trees of the field to clap their hands in a world of systematic injustice and bullying and violence and arrogance and oppression. The thought that there might come a day when the wicked are firmly put in their place and the poor and weak are given their due is the best news there can be. Faced with the world in rebellion, a world full of exploitation and wickedness, a good God must... Be a God of judgment, if He is good, he must not be able to tolerate that which is not good. So as we consider god's shock and all campaign during the second coming of Christ, the question is not why does Jesus have to be so judgmental? Instead, a better question is: how could we call God good if He allowed evil to forever corrupt the world which He created and which He pronounced? To be good. I know that a lot of you wonder about that. But I'll tell you what I wonder about. When I look out at our world today. I wonder how long Lord are you going to put up with this? How long are you going to let this go? I watch some stuff on television that just. I almost decided to not watch television anymore. I'm telling you, you watch the news. And you see what's going on in the gender issues. That are happening today for our children. You see what's going on in. The dishonesty that takes place in our government. And it's not good. It's rebellious. It's bad. It's anti-God. It's, as Jews said, ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. When is something going to happen? I'm telling you, there's coming a day. Almighty God through his son Jesus Christ is going to set it right. And good will be honored and bad will be judged. He's a good God. He's coming back. In June of 1944, the people of France had been suffering for four years under the tyranny of Adolf Hitler. His armies had invaded France in 1940 as part of his unholy ambition to turn all of Europe into a Nazi superstate. But then, on June 6, 1944, General Eisenhower commanded Allied troops to cross the channel from England and invade the fortified beaches of Normandy. Their purpose, to liberate the French nation from oppression. Editor James M. Kushner described what happened on that fateful day, now known as D-Day. Before dawn, then throughout the rest of the day, sea, land, and air were rent by flashes, thunder, flying metal, parachutes, while fresh wounds in the earth and men erupted in sand and soil, blood, and guts. Beaches turned red, trees exploded, cattle perished, men breathed their last. D-Day was just the first day. The battle for Normandy raged on into August, and Paris was liberated August 25th, 1944. The scarring of Normandy and the shedding of blood was the result of many men and their designs, either for conquest or for liberation. And in many ways... What happened on D-Day offers a scaled-down preview of the world's final battle. Like World War II France, we suffer under the heel of a brutal tyrant who illegitimately occupies our world. His name is Satan. He imposes death and destruction and misery. And like the oppressed citizens of France in the 1940s, we cry out for liberation. From a cruel oppressor and we ask ourselves how long is God going to let this go on but as we are assured in revelation 19 liberation is on its way we have a supreme commander who has never lost a battle and he is simply waiting for the strategic moment when he will descend and crush forever the forces that have invaded his world Because he is faithful and true and we can rest assured that he will not fail and the lion of Judah will conquer On that final day I'm glad I know that that gives me some perspective as I look out at the craziness of the world in which we live It will not always be like this one day our king will return One day he will set things right. The Bible says immediately after that, those of you who are Christians will reign with King Jesus for a thousand years on planet earth in the millennium and peace will reign. Oh, there will be evil, but it will be instantly prosecuted and it will not last long. The millennium will be what we had hoped this would be, but it is not. He's coming back. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And all of this we've been talking about that assures your place in his army, your opportunity to rule with him, your future in heaven, all depends on one thing. Have you made your decision to put your trust in Christ? This is not news for everybody. This is news for those who are Christians. You say, well, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. Well, why don't you get sure today? Why don't you make sure today that you are a Christian and that you have put your trust in Jesus Christ? Friends, I'm asking you with all of the passion in my heart, don't let another day go by that you are unsaved. Put your trust in Jesus Christ today. You say, well, I'll do it later. Later isn't on your calendar, my friend. Later may not ever come. Today is the day of salvation. When you hear the Lord speaking in your heart, as some of you have heard today during this message, this is your moment. You either accept your moment or it passes you by and it might not come back again. So wherever you are, you might be in a truck someplace, flying in an airplane. And I know you can listen in the airplanes now. You might be in a car somewhere. Pause for a moment, bow your head, create a sanctuary in your heart. And ask Jesus Christ to come and live within you. Tell Him to love you and ask Him to forgive your sin. He will take you to heaven. I'll see you there someday if you do that. Make that decision today. We'll see you next time.
0: Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. We appreciate your notes of encouragement, so please write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sowasin, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, The Great Disappearance, 31 Ways to be Rapture Ready. Informative and inspiring, it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for Turning Point Ministries. Visit DavidJeremiah.ca/slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series The Great Disappearance on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The rapture is God's promise that He'll return. If you want to learn how to be rapture ready, then be sure to order Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, The Great Disappearance. This fascinating glimpse into the next event on God's prophetic calendar is available for a donation of any amount to Turning Point. Donate $75 and you'll receive The Great Disappearance set. Donate $100 or more and you'll receive a three-book share pack. Get yours today at davidjeremiah.ca. If you want to learn more about the person of Jesus Christ, the book of Colossians offers an unrivaled portrayal of our Savior. And to help you understand this important book in a deeper way, Dr. David Jeremiah has created a verse-by-verse study called Christ Above All. This helpful book and album are yours when you donate $60 to Turning Point. And with an $80 gift, you'll also receive the
1: written word journal. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. I have heard it said that for the unlearned man, old age is like the winter, but for the wise men, old age is the harvest. Personally, I have never been more excited about the work God has given me to do. I have spent many years acquiring knowledge and hopefully a bit of wisdom. I finally feel like I'm becoming qualified to make a contribution. No one should resist growing old. Use today to acquire as much knowledge and wisdom as you can And then ask God to give you a place to put it to good use for all your years on earth. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's love for elders on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com
0: and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.